Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we find the coolest university technology, so you don't have to. We want to serve up some of these solutions to big problems and hopefully help them become actual things that people can use. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD and science wizard. Hey, Tyler. Charlie, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm also joined by Dr. Law Dog, entrepreneur werewolf, Joe Rungi. How's it going? Hey, Charlie. Joe is also the... What are you, like the director? Associate the, director. Associate director of the Unitech? Unitech Institute, which is a translational research institute and a startup <laughs> incubator. Which does that for the University of Nebraska, and which is Univers- also one of our sponsors. Yes. Um, so, um, Also, uh, while we're sort of contemplating what exactly Unitech does, I, I invite our listeners to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, to rate it, review it, tell a friend, promote it. Otherwise... Uh, Go down the street and just tell the first person you meet, you really need to listen to the Innovation Overground. It's a front porch for academic innovation that finds coolest university technology, so you don't have to. Yes, but this this week we're going to focus on, or not, well, we're going to continue our focus on mm-hmm. veteran uh, VA technologies because they do some cool stuff. And uh, so let's go over some more of that stuff. And I think I think it's time we, we talked about um, robots or cyborgs. Ooh. Let's do cyborgs. Enhancing human capabilities. Yeah. I feel like that's like robotics a, a good or Skynet electronics. kind of thing. Like, you, know, you know, I think it's weird. Oftentimes, like, cyborgs are associated with war, right? Yeah, but, right. like, the true cyborgs are the most human parts of all of us, right? The ways in which we can use technology to correct the defects that time ravages upon us all. Beautifully said. Well. I think on that note, Touching. I think it's time to come to ground. I think thank you for joining us, everyone. So since uh, we're talking oh, about beautiful sorry. things, <clears throat> let's discuss urinary incontinence. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about. So <laughs> I always think it's really cool when we deal with like electrical, mechanical replacements. Talk for, about like dribbling. I am okay. Talk right. about pee dribbling. That's <laughs> that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No. Just let it soak in. Just soak let in. it soak I'm in. I'm just gonna giggle. Oh, that's a. You might want to rethink that poor choice. No, I'm. I'm going all it in. It depends. Man. Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Tyler for the win. So I think one of the things that's really cool is when you actually start to build machines to simulate what our bodies ordinarily do. You're like, dang. That is complicated, right? Because oh like, man, yeah. So uh, the the invention that the VA has related to this, it is a electronic uh, urinary sphincter, and the thing that like the I always will joke with, well not joke, like when I talk about technologies, like I'll say, Tyler, well, what's a gag of it, right? Like what is the thing that makes us different? And the the gag of of the electric sphincter replacement here is that it's variable. Right. So I guess people tried to make replacement sphincters and a sphincter in itself is not that complicated. It's a band that you can tighten to close something off. Right. But the thing that makes this one functional is that it's dynamic. So it has multiple settings that you can essentially attenuate based on the amount of pressure that's kind of coming with it. So someone had to sit there. Is this gender specific or is this? No, it's not gender specific. Gender neutral. Okay. Anyone with a urethra, no matter what that's connected to, it, it still works. Okay. And so the idea is, is that if, if you have dysfunction with your sphincter, you uh, have kind of a, a sensor-ridden band of some kind of material that can close the that close the the, the, the urethra, and then uh, there's a sensor on it that can figure out how much pressure is there. And then there's an algorithm somewhere in a microchip that's figuring out, is this the amount of pressure that's acceptable to sort of hold in? 
or is this the amount that we need to let go or whatever? Hmm. And and that is it's it's sort of mimicking what is otherwise a biological process, right? Like how huh. much is is sort of too much. You'd to see a malfunction there, wouldn't you? Well, you know, it's it's a, we've, we're dealing with a malfunction, right? And so we're we're replacing it with something that is otherwise electronic to be able to work. So the the pattern position for devices like these are always interesting because they're kind of a combination of physiology and and electronics. And I'm just going to keep talking while I so try to find the page. While you find the page, I'm, I'm curious though, how does so this is a device that's in surgically implanted. Does it have to be surgically implanted? Yeah, so it have to be surgically right? implanted. How do you change the batteries on that? Um, you know, the the implantable devices like pacemakers, the power systems on those are generally well known. So they're 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 designed so the lifetime of the device because they don't last forever mm-hmm. is going to be powered. So mm-hmm. there's no you know external charging or anything associated with mm-hmm. that. the The trick for something like this is actually the combination of the sensor and the controller. Okay. So. If you think about it, the the closing off a urethra, like mechanically, not that complicated. But knowing when to open it, right? You know, that's the trick. And so the way that this particular invention from DVA has come around that is by a combination of pressure sensors that are in the band itself, that are then tied to the controller associated with it. Does that make sense? So, so how do you, as a as the operator of this mechanical sphincter, how do you? I think we just hit a record, by the way, for most sphincter uses. Yeah, in been, a, I got to say, we leveled out yeah. and we're handling so, it with great maturity. Yeah, we're like climbing up to 12th grade level here. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, right. I've been struggling not to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Five minutes now. <laughs> Sorry, I ruined it. Um, Tyler's biting his lip over yeah, there. Yeah. So, okay. So, how do you control it? Like, I mean, is there a button to push? So, there's not like you... an operator manual that would go with this. But if you think about it, the, the motif of it is pressure released, right? So, if you put enough pressure on, t- there's. A certain amount of pressure that it holds, but if the pressure builds up enough, it releases. So you just have to make sure you're standing in the bathroom at the time? Right. You have to... Well, I mean, that's like normal. How do you go to the bathroom? Well, (laughs) I have... There's a bit of control on when I can... I can hold it for longer if I'm not ready to go. That's my thought, too. If I'm in the car looking for a rest stop... So your bladder is still there, right? Right. But, like, I don't know if you've ever been to the spot where you're unable to hold it any longer, because at some point your body will override your will, right? (laughs) Well, I've never got to that point yet. I totally haven't either this week, but, like... (laughs) It's exactly 12 hours and 11 minutes. But the whole – the point is, right, is that it's mimicking a biological process, that there is a certain pressure threshold that, you know, things could reach where, you know, the physiological restraints of it are going to be just okay. – it'll be so painful or whatever. So the way that this device works is that as you push on the sphincter, either by the force of the buildup or by pushing on it with your ah, muscles there around we it, go. That's I a better description. I yeah. I'm getting okay. it now. Yeah. That's okay. It took me a long time. I okay. thought it was entirely, yeah, I didn't, I thought it was entirely outside of your And there's not control, an app you need so, to run, okay. right? Okay. And okay. so, and if you think about it, this is- So uh, then you could force it too. If it's like, okay, well now is, I have to, I should go now before, so I have yeah. a problem later. Because you could what force you're doing it. is you're modifying the pressure by exertion. I got it. Okay. That mm. sounds cool. Yeah. And again, like we keep coming down to like elegant solutions, yeah. but this is like a really clever biomimetic, right? right. Yeah. And like, and it, they're not owning that concept. They, other people, I'm sure, sure. thought of that idea. But they've managed to figure out is a particular constellation of sensors and motor controls that make that more functional. Those folks at the VA, mm. man, they're pretty quick. 
pretty clever. Yeah. So where what's the uh, what's the next step on this? So one? an implantable device like this is kind of a long trajectory oh, towards yeah. development, and I couldn't find any evidence that it's been implanted in people. They're still just doing lots of bench testing. Okay. So you know, I think I don't know if this would be something for which you would try to do animal testing to be able to hmm. identify. That'd be a weird Ooh, animal that'd test. That would be hard to yeah. How to, how to quantify? Yeah, some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I guess you'd I measure bladder know. pressure and then see. The, yeah. So there's that. Or maybe you can induce it with drugs. I'm not really sure. So interesting. Um, so there's that. Hmm. But then you can also uh, do some other work related to um, uh, bench testing to sort of simulate it otherwise. But yeah, getting through the FDA with something like that would be pretty complicated because that is something you don't want to screw up. Sounds. Yeah. So talk about another really difficult biological process that we don't normally give a lot of thought to because we <clears> sort of <throat> just do it automatically. Swallowing. Um, so this is a, a now I'm self conscious about swallowing. This is a <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the party. It's a VA device again um, that uh, that is a microelectronic throat stimulator. So there are several diseases that can result in what's known as dystocia, which is um, discorded coughing or dysphagia, disordered swallowing. Um, is this like uh, an amyotropic, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, multiple sclerosis, MS, stroke, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera? Uh, and actually, uh, you know, it's sad and unfortunate, but the leading cause of death in patients who have diseases like this, where they, they lose control of their muscles, right. um, is actually what's known as aspiration pneumonia or literally drowning on your own saliva. Um, so okay. it's, yeah, it's a, re- thought, yeah. a really horrible way to go, right? Um, <clears throat> so th- this what this device does is it's a combination of sensors and electronic stimulators that actually um, um, has electrodes placed in, in certain locations on a patient's neck that are able to then um, read EMG signals and then also provide um, stimulation to, to, to the relevant muscles. So what the device actually does is it, it reads through a combination of not only the EMG or your own electronic signals or electric signals flowing through your muscles, um, but also audio as well. It has audio sensors, a little microphone in there as well. Um, it reads basically when your body is, is either trying to swallow or trying to cough and then just gives it that extra stimulation to, to actually do it. So it, it, it replaces the, the impulses you would normally, electrical impulses your brain would normally send to engage these muscles? Or, or, or better, it, it augments them. Augments yeah, yeah. Them. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Is it, I mean, does it work? So it's a wearable microchip. They, no, they, it's patented. They have, the, they have a, a, a prototype. They've done some testing with it. And um, it's still, my understanding is it would still need quite a bit of work to make it to market, but... But it has a firm patent position, um, and they have some proof of concept data. So, so okay. I had this, when you were first talking about this image of it being kind of automated. It would just like every thirty. I don't know. I don't know how often we swallow. I've never thought about it before. But mm. you know, like every thirty seconds, it would just make you swallow. But if this is sort of user initiated, that makes more sense to me because I can't imagine how. Yeah, very similar to having... How disturbing it might be that... Oh, I guess I'm swallowing now. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're right. So very similar to when Joe was initially describing... Right, the, right. Yeah, the sphincter constrictor. Um, not my, my thought, too, was initially, if this is just automated on like a time delay or pressure <laughs> yeah. that you can't um, control at all, that would be unpleasant. But yeah, no, this is... Yeah, this is a very sophisticated algorithm that, that reads 
your body's attempt to cough or swallow and then just allows your body to, to do what it would do naturally. Is this in collaboration with anybody or is this just, just, just straight uh, VA? Uh, um, as far as I'm aware, it is just uh, the VA. This is just awesome work done at the VA. Okay. Um, so I we got a little bit of time left. I have a note here about 3D printed lungs. Oh, I, you I want to talk about those? Tell huh? me a little bit about that before we, before we have to get out of here. I can touch on that briefly. Yeah. So this is Dr. Joseph Potke, again, in the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, this is really cool. So it's new artificial lung design and manufacturing process. So um, it's still patent pending. This is really still, you know, b- kind of in the basic research stage. It needs a lot of work yet. But is this tissue? Are they printing cool. tissue, or is this like an artificial material? This is no. This is just a. It's an artificial material. Okay. So it's 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 a. Uh, Do they like grow the lungs on the frame? It's or? it's it's a biocompatible material. Okay. Um, but it has it uses microfluidics and microprocessing to basically attempt to cool. to create micro channels to to mimic. Um, the, the small bronchioli and vessels See, in our lungs. I can't lungs. imagine how complex the lung, I mean, it seems like a, I just, the, the complexity involved in what's going on inside the lungs and then to be able to manufacture that, that's kind of freaked me out a little bit if I start thinking about it. Microfluidics yeah. are really fascinating because a lot of the manufacturing processes to make microchips so efficient can now be used to do microfluidics. Because we're talking about like a like a like a channel that gets small enough where only a single blood cell can flow, right? Actually, it gets even more complicated than that because when you get those channels so small, the the water wicks, and so you can actually, um, like a plant would, you can use the motion with almost no motors or anything. You can mm-hmm. have, and then you can actually precisely control it almost down to a droplet by droplet, molecule by molecule basis. Yeah, yeah this is just geometry-based um, mechanical control using just shear stresses to be able to control interactions between platelets and cells and, and gas exchange and Holy all of that. Holy cow, this is cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And, and they, they've I'm, done testing in rabbits. They hope to move into sheep. Um, they they put one of these in a rabbit and it worked? So they've done some testing in rabbits, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the details of that test. But. So there's a rabbit breathing with 3D printed lungs. Or at least partially breathing with partially 3D printed lungs. Yeah. 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 That sound here is my jaw hitting the table. That's really cool. Also, I'm going to make an album called Partially Breathing. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be like me doing breathing. cult covers. <laughs> What's the next step on that one? I mean, you said they're doing some testing. But they, they need to move into larger animal studies, okay. so they're hoping to get some funding to move into sheep. Um, and at the time of this recording, when you hear this, they may have moved into sheep already. I don't I don't have the latest day to day, but that would okay. be the next step. Um, and then if that continues to look promising, they could, with a much more substantial influx of funding, move into into, into clinical, I suppose. I, I know you, you're really passionate about 3D printing in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm of course, everyone knows that, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, where does this fit in sort of the, the pantheon then of of three D printing solutions here in, in, in the medical field? I know they've 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 done the bladders and they're doing you know some prosthetics and you know like ears and stuff like that. But you know, this seems really this seems next level to me. So this yeah, so this wouldn't be it wouldn't be to replace like uh, having your it's it doesn't replace a, a fully functioning lung, right? It's it's more of like a it's 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 a portable solution to having to be on temporary 
Um, um, this isn't uh, an implant. No, it's not. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I want to okay. clarify well, that. All right, yeah, yeah. I'm not that impressed anymore. Yeah. So it's 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 <laughs> it's 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 a a bridge to a transplant to a lung transplant. Gotcha. So this is just, okay. It's portable. It's more convenient kind of like than di- having dialysis to be. Dialysis then. Yeah. Then, equivalent. Yeah. So then having to yeah exactly like that. So you don't have to. You wouldn't be um, stuck in an ICU while you're waiting for the transplant. This okay. Could be more of a portable. That's really cool. Oh, solution, it, yeah. Well, it is time to come to ground. Uh, please take a moment to check the program notes. We'll have links to all the future technologies, the great innovation going on in the VA, and the uh, great work TechLinks is doing to make them available to the public. Yes, I also want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Also, KVNO Studios, where we're recording these um, these episodes, and also Unitech, the Translational Research Institute and Startup Incubator for the University of Nebraska. Woo! Corbin, drop the uh, confetti. (laughs) Corbin. Corbin. Corbin Hershorn. Corbin. Our our, our producer. There we go. So for Tyler Sharon, Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie. Confetti everywhere. Thank you. Please join us every Monday on Unimed's Innovation.